Hey everyone, this is Dave Cruz from Flyber Labs, a podcast on business and innovation in the Midwest and beyond. Here you'll meet fascinating people and learn about new technologies and practices that will change how you look at life and business. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyover Labs, and today we are lucky enough to have Clifton Dawson with us. Clifton is the founder and CEO of Greenlight Insights. They do market research, insights, and business analysis uh, for the virtual and automated rally industries. So that makes a Clifton right in the middle of VR and AR. And Clifton played football at Harvard and then played in the NFL. And so I'm, I'm pumped to hear more about Clifton's background and his insights into virtual and augmented reality and uh, the future. So Clifton, thanks for coming on the show today. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be talking to you. Definitely. Well, before we uh, jump into what you're doing now, could you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah. Um, so I, um, sort of professionally, I, um, I went to Harvard for undergrad, uh, where I studied economics. Um, I was also a college athlete, as you mentioned. Um, I went back to Harvard to get my MBA in 2011, uh, and since then I've been involved in uh, a number of startups, uh, including founding uh, two. Um, uh, personally, I, I grew up in Toronto, um, played a, a lot of sports. Uh, I came from a big family uh, that excelled kind of athletically. Um, and I, I particularly excelled at, at football and track early, which um, kind of led me to uh, playing in college and then uh, professionally. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, what? Uh, so how? Uh, Harvard's pretty tough undergrad. Um, so how? I mean, I can't imagine playing a college sport and going to Harvard. Was that was that tough to uh, make both happen? Um, yeah, I, Harvard, um, Harvard and, and Harvard football, um, I think it really, um, epitomizes what it means to be, uh, a student athlete, um, <laughs> you know, for, uh, you know, for instance, uh, you know, there, there aren't any scholarships and, and, and most of the players don't get any special treatment from the admissions department. So, um, you know, for a college football locker room, you can kind of imagine the range of characters uh, in, in, in the Harvard locker room. Um, um, you know, my, you know, a, a funny side note, my college full, fullback uh, uh, after graduating went on to get a graduate degree in, in um, opera, uh, opera studies, and he's now a professor of, of um, opera, uh, the performing arts <laughs> um, which you know is, is not atypical when you think of the <laughs> no. college athletics, uh, um, but um, you know athletically, uh, definitely it was a, a high level of competition. Um, I, I feel like increasingly you're hearing about uh, athletes who you know, compete at Harvard and then go on to compete at a high level um, afterwards. So um, I think it was really the best place for someone like me who was you know, uh, interested in, in sports, interested in getting a really good education and, and having a very diverse experience all the way through college. Nice. And you said growing up that you uh, came from a, a big family that was pretty athletic. Did you, was there a lot of a 
competition? Were you guys pretty? It sounds like you're probably pretty active growing up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm the I'm the youngest of of six, and wow. um, you know everyone um, uh, everyone grew up you know playing soccer and uh, and uh, cricket and uh, track and field. Um, uh, my family's from the islands, from Jamaica, um, and so um, we were always kind of you know competing um, athletically. Um, I I played a, a ton of sports and growing up um but like i said i you know, excelled at um football and track and um and then um continued to play those uh do both things actually in college so at, at harvard i played mm. um football and i also ran track um during the summer uh during the spring um but i think that really started when i was a, a young kid growing up in toronto so uh so are you still pretty fast to this day i <laughs> I think I think that's relative. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> good point. Good point. Yeah. NFL running back versus average person, you're probably maybe still fast <laughs> compared to the average person. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> nice. And uh, so, and how was it going from Harvard to the NFL? Like the was it intimidating? You know, the, was the level of competition that much higher? What was your experience? Yeah. Um, so in uh, in my case, um, I was a um, you know an undrafted um, free agent, which just means I I wasn't drafted into the NFL. Um, and so for for me, my road was um, uh, a little bit more challenging uh, than uh, it might it is for for some people who play in the NFL. Um, um, I uh, over my Three-year career, uh, I played for three teams, um, and um, the transition itself was uh, not as much of a uh, of, of a jump as as you might expect. Huh. Um, I think athletically, clearly, there's a lot of um, you know incredible athletes um, at that level, and um, um, you know anyone who makes it is. Uh, uh, you know, is highly accomplished in that regard. Um, but what I found um, about my Harvard experience um, that helped me at the NFL was uh, the ability to um, do the things outside from um, being a physical athlete, the additional you know, training to think about um, uh, the offense uh, analytically, um, to kind of prepare for the mental aspect of mm-hmm. of the sport, um, uh, Harvard definitely helped me do that. Um, and so when I got to NFL, I, I felt like I could um, I could jump right in and, and understand what we were trying to accomplish uh, in the different offenses that I played for. Interesting. And you think Harvard might do a better job of that than a lot of universities? More the the analytical aspect and the yeah. Um, you know, hard for me to say. Um, I, I I played at, at two colleges, one at, at Harvard and, and at Northwestern um, for a brief oh, yeah. period. Um, and I and I think Harvard does a really good job of just um, uh, um, making sure that it's it's training student athletes to be um, uh, uh, you know, analytical thinkers, and uh, and that translates when when you're when you're playing football uh, in the NFL. Gotcha. All right. So two quick questions, then we'll move on to green light. And uh, 
yep. about your background. And so one is the, you know, do you have any good uh, story about the experience in NFL? Like sometimes I like to ask, or like I'm always curious how hard I I do some training. Nothing like what you guys did, but you know, I always curious if there's any like good training stories or any good story about how much food you could eat or <laughs> anything like that. Um, you know, it's 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 funny when you when you talk about um sort of the um the NFL, uh, training, um, rigor. Um, I, I think one of the things that, uh, I, I remember is actually from my, uh, from my college days when I was at Northwestern. Um, we, we used to do our training camp in, uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin. Oh, yeah. Um, I know, I know you're in yeah. Madison. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, I remember those days, um, when I was on the Northwestern football team and traveling up to Kenosha, um, we'd have our two day practices and, um, you know, during training camp, you know, whether you're in college or in the NFL training camp is, you know, probably the worst month of your life. <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, in Kenosha, um, I, re- I remember that, uh, after, you know, a, about a two weeks of nonstop two days are, head coach at the time, you know, pulled aside and, um, uh, canceled afternoon practice. And we went out to a movie, um, in the, in the theater there. Um, and I remember that was, you know, kind of just one of the things that, uh, just really, uh, stood out to me about my, uh, my experience, um, Interesting. um at Kenosha at least. Huh. That's cool. And, and, and how was the, you know, you've been playing sports your entire life and, even professionally, which is very unusual and rare, and, and then then uh, at some point, then then you have to retire or uh, you know have to give up. How how was the transition back to the real world? Were you excited to enter into the real world, or was it hard, or how was that time? Yeah, I was um, personally very excited about um, um, when it came time to retire. Um, I going through college, I. Um, studying economics, I was really excited by the different things that I could do. Um, and, and so when I, when I got done, felt like really the world was my oyster. And, and so I spent about a year, um, uh, trying, uh, different things, um, uh, speaking to as many people with as many different career, uh, careers as I could, uh, until I found something that I was really excited by. Um, and then went back to uh, graduate school um, to brush up um, on on uh, on some of the sort of practical uh, business skills, um, which led me down the path that I'm currently on. Excellent, and that's a good segue. So, uh, can you tell us about what you're you're your founder and CEO of Greenlight Insights? Can you mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about what you guys do? Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, Greenlight is a company that started two years ago. Um, uh, we do market intelligence uh, specifically for the VR and AR industries. Um, it's, uh, I started the company when I realized that the, um, the category, uh, VR uh, in particular, was one that wasn't quite well understood by most large corporations. Um, um, and felt like there would be a an important role to play for um, uh, industry analysts 
who were dedicated to understanding the space. And so one of the things that our, our firm does that's uh, unique um, is that we, we take a mosaic um, data-driven approach to industry analysis. Um, so we, um, we actually undergo primary research, um, yeah. investing in unique data sets, uh, be it um, you know, consumer insights or um, uh, quantitative research with industry participants, um, uh, original forecasts. Uh, we do this work, um, and we and we take um, sort of a mosaic approach um, so that we can uh, continue uh, continuously understand uh, the dynamic nature of the industry and, and distill the complexity of the industry into actionable insights that uh, we we provide our clients. So, can you give a an example of kind of the um, primary research they do? Is that like interviewing people sure. or? Yeah, so, you know, a, a really good example of the sorts of primary research that we do um, that, that's really unique to uh, Greenlight. Um, uh, we, we do a, a really robust um, industry um, survey that we, uh, we've done over the last two years um, and we're doing now for the fourth wave, we do twice a year, where we, we survey um, a few thousand industry participants, uh, be it uh, small developers or um, hardware manufacturers um, or, or service providers, about their expectations for the industry, expectations um, for their own businesses, um, and um, have developed uh, really good benchmarks uh, for which um, we use um, gauge how the industry is evolving, um, and and really feed um, all the other areas of research that we do, um, and so that's something that uh, you know we take pride in maintaining um, uh, annually, um, and that's again just part of being category focused, uh, and and it's really unique to Greenlight. Gotcha. And what some uh, questions or answers can are in those? Part of, part of that report. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny that you're asking that. Uh, you're asking about um, uh, this particular area of research that we do because we're literally um, fielding the the um, study, uh, the fourth wave of of, the, of what we call the virtual reality industry monitor. Um, uh, survey. Um, and so some of the things that we dive into, um, is, um, uh, you know, unit economics of, of production. Um, so understanding if you are, uh, let's say, you know, you're working on a, um, a, uh, VR first person shooter, um, you know, how many titles do you have currently in your pipeline? How many more are you expecting over the next 12 months? How long does it take you to create your experience from start to finish? Um, and, and sort of where are, do you expect to price? Um, and how do you expect to price? Um, those are things that if um, being able that, that actually deviate significantly um, between um Firm type, so if you're a small firm versus a big firm, the 
those metrics change. Um, uh, it, it change it, it deviates significantly um, by content type um, and sort of platform that you support. And so those are the sort of things that we uh, labor to understand because we think it's important to you know um, to uh, quantify um, for uh, really solid industry analysis. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, well it is. I mean that's the it's it's those details that seem uh maybe not important, but those are the ones that are interesting. Uh, I I don't know how, how much you can share. I mean, I mean I'm curious cuz I know the VR game is just kind of getting going. You know what mm-hmm. what does in terms of like teams for VR, you know, cuz some video games of course have you know hundreds and hundreds of people. You know, mm-hmm. have you seen um, good size teams developing VR games or budgets or uh, how long does it take? You know, can you share any insights around that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's it's a really interesting area that um, you know takes a lot of time to sort of unpack. But one of the things that I, I I've noticed in in the, the data set the data set because uh, as I mentioned we're, we're now on our fourth wave is that the um, sort of team sizes are expanding um, and the sort of productivity of different teams um, um, sort of varied by um, uh, by team size, right? So, so the larger the team, sometimes the longer it actually takes to uh, sort of create, uh, even if you try and standardize for content, uh, content category um, or, or location, um, and and, uh, uh, and and some other uh, other factors. Um, the I, I think what's um, ultimately what's um, interesting is when you begin to connect different types of research um, together um, uh, to understand um, sort of where this industry is going and what, what some of the opportunities are. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, it's, it's really uh, it's important that we do this research with industry participants, um, but it's also important that you connect that to um Consumer research, right? So understanding um, among uh, consumers here in the U.S. or, or other regions, um, what are their attitudes um, as it re- and, and behaviors as it relates to this technology? So we, um, like we do with our industry research, we do um, an annual consumer adoption study. Um, um, which uh, is currently under development too. Um, and connecting these different types of research together really gives us a, a, a high-level view of um, here's how the industry is unfolding, um, uh, particularly over time. Interesting. Okay. And, you know, how do you see kind of the, at least the VR, you know, AR obviously got some good traction with Pokemon Go, but uh, at least for the mobile, um, the headsets might take a while, but with like VR, you know, where do you see VR becoming mainstream first? You know, you have like education, you have gaming, you kind of have entertainment. I'm probably missing some other spaces. Um, you know, yeah, where in your research do you, I don't know if you, you look into those questions or not, but uh, how do you see VR eventually uh, becoming more mainstream? Yeah, I mean, I think um, 
that's a really good question, and I think one that's we're we're very early in our um, in our process for understanding understanding that that particular answer. But I think it's it's a really important one, one that you know, so anyone working in the industry is, is really trying to unpack. Okay. Um, and so um, I think in trying to um, you know, all of us as industry observers and, and participants, um, you know, ultimately what we're what we need to appreciate is the um, the timing of, of which we're we're talking about mainstream. First, you know, what do you mean when we say mainstream? Right? Um, are we talking about a certain number of um, a certain penetration uh, of of households um, in the U.S. or globally? Um, are we talking about you know, a, a benchmark of, of usage and engagement, uh, which I would argue is incredibly, incredibly important. That's what we should be striving for. Um, and then, you know, again, are we, are we talking about, you know, sort of mainstream within um, sort of households or within sort of enterprises? Um, you know, I think there's a lot of sort of, um, I think the answer of your question depends on a lot yeah, of factors. Yeah. <laughs> I think one thing it does not depend on um, is time. Uh, it, 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 and what I mean by that is, you know, we're, we're not talking about years. We're, we're really talking about decades, right? Um, hmm. um, anyone in working in the industry, and, and I firmly believe that, should be thinking about uh, uh, the industry um, in 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 decades, half decades, uh, not, you know, two or three, two or three years. Um, and so when we forecast the industry, we're really thinking about um, what are the drivers and the uh, enablers of industry adoption on a large, um, a large uh, scale and a long time horizon. Um, so things like the um, the, the global rollout um, of uh 5, 5G and um, yeah. it, it's something that we think is incredibly important. Huh. Uh, we think uh, drivers like the untethering of headsets um, um, is an important um, enabler of, of um, adoption. Um, and then the, you know, I, I think we, we're also looking at transitions between uh different mediums, right? So, you know, sort of what, um, you know, I think we're, we're, we're watching um, to see how consumers are being educated and, and embracing um, VR um, um, so that we understand, you know, sort of what penetration and usage will be, look like among uh, early adopters and, and particularly young, uh, young users. Um, uh, I think for uh, be misguided to have a conversation about um, the technology becoming mainstream without looking at the behavior of, uh, of of young people and how they embrace the technology. And and do you have and this would have to be off the top of your head, so it's fine if you don't. But do you have uh, like any noteworthy forecasts? And I'm sure you do in your reports. So you don't have to give away stuff that uh, you know you usually sell. But, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, I mean, this would be a generic question, but how many VR headsets are going to be around five years or it doesn't have to be that, but, uh, do you have any, uh, 
noteworthy for, forecast off the top of your head? It's fine if you don't. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, that uh, you'll bear with me up and sure I can pull something up. But, yeah. I, you know, I, I, that sounds good. Yeah. Let's come back to that question, I guess. Yeah. And I'll that try and pull good. something up. And, that sounds great. So I was curious, you know, what was, uh, you probably spend some time in VR, AR. Is there a certain application that you like to, that has really kind of blown you away or impressed you that you've experienced? Well, you know, I think um, I, as a, as an analyst, I, I do not, I intentionally try not to pick winners and losers. Fair um, <laughs> um, but, um, you know, there are, there are, um, a number of uh, applications, experiences for which I find myself um, when I power up, let's say, the uh, Steam store, I kind of, it's within the first five that I I go back to. Um, and what's unique about those ones are, um, one, they are, um, I, I find that the, um, uh, the UX, um, within a, the particular application is unique to the medium. Um, so um, being able to um, create my own experience, uh, traversing uh, the, the, uh, the experience um, uh, feels very fluid. Um, and so I really like that about a number of apps, and that's something that I've, 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 I'm actually noticing uh uh, across many applications, and then secondly, um, I always enjoy interacting with other people, uh, particularly people that I, I don't know. Um, I have no other reason to be connecting <laughs> with um, in VR. Uh, so you know, playing a game of basketball um, with someone um, in, in VR is something that um, I, I really enjoy doing. Um, believe it or not, or uh, you know, doing some. A paintball officer and stuff like that in, in VR with a group that I actually don't know um, uh, and I just met uh, is, is something that brings me a lot of pleasure. Well, there's always that. And this is still surprises me. I'm sure I don't do as much as you, but whenever you go into VR and you interact with other people, it's, it's, it's definitely, it's not like being in person, but it's a lot more than being over the phone or even this video is definitely a very intimate um, relationship. You know that you experience personal boundaries, even if you just have like an avatar, <laughs> which is weird. But uh, it, it kind of shows you the power of the VR medium, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 and it also you know shows you I think some of the the challenges that I think still haven't uh, was just getting to understand um, um, around um, you know. Um, um, sort of social interaction um, uh, through the medium, right? Because it, it does give people a, uh, I, I think, a heightened sense of of, um, of, of social of, of boundaries. Um, and um, uh, but then at the same time, it, it may it, 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 for some people it actually uh, sort of removes those boundaries. And, and so how you how you negotiate that within the medium is going to be a very important question that um, anyone who's you know creating an experience or, or creating a platform that enables experience um, has to address very very seriously and um, I think we, we just haven't even scratched the surface um, yeah. 
on that. No, you're right. And all right. So if, if somebody, there's a company that's like, wow, this is, we should really get caught up to speed. Um, let's call up Clifton. Like how does the, the process work? So it, the main reports that you have is kind of this primary research report. What if uh, they have like other questions, you know, like throughout, you know, another time, like, Hey, what do you think about this Clifton? How, how does the relationship work with your clients? Sure. Yeah. So, um, the, um, you know, if you want to access our research, uh, visit greenlight, uh, greenlightinsights.com. Um, and a number of our reports are available for, um, for ordering, um, right away. Uh, although we do make a, um, uh, select reports available to on a subscription basis. Um, but if someone who's new to the industry wants to understand our outlook on the industry, um, um, a, a good place to start is our industry report, which we published uh, in the spring and then the fall. Um, this year, we're co-authoring that with uh, a uh, another uh, a VR uh, company called Road to VR. Um, and that's a hundred uh, page report um, that contains um, a lot of our research um, and outlook on the industry. That's a, a really good way to sort of get a sense for um, the things that we think are important um, and will drive the industry long term. Um, in terms of engaging with us, um, um, we're always accessible for a conversation, um, emailing. Um, myself or our team at hello at greenlightinsights.com um, or finding us on Twitter and just talking at us, we'll talk back. <laughs> um, nice. And and if you're up for it, uh, meeting us in VR, we're always willing to uh, you know, jump in all space or something like that and, um, and, and meet you for a quick chat. Excellent. Okay. And uh, last question. And, uh, and maybe you can't just, well, yeah, you know, I was curious. The question was, if you had an investment fund, like where would you be putting your money in the, in VR now? There's, I mean, there's so many different places from, I mean, the, I guess the headsets are a lot of big guys, but there's some smaller guys, but there's also lots of like controls and then there's the games and then there's like, um, you know, more B2B kind of content is mobile <laughs> it's kind of overwhelming, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, where do you, yeah I mean where do you think some of the yeah more interesting plays could be had yeah um, you know I, I think uh, one you ask really good questions and um, because it, I, I find uh, myself answering uh, realizing that it, it, it's a answer that that depends on a lot of sort of clarifying assumptions and so you know I think one it, it really depends on the the type of investor you are and the, the time for which you want to invest. Um, we, uh, every year we do um, a year-end review on uh, the venture funding landscape surrounding VR and AR. So we just finished up a study um, that you can read uh, about on our on our blog. Um, um, looking at uh, the... Um, deal volume um, uh, and transaction activity since 2011 through the end of 2016. So looking at, you know, what subcategories are fast growing over that time horizon, et cetera, uh, uh, really, really good work. Um, 
one of the things that um, I think is evident in the in the data um, uh, in, in terms of you know where sophisticated investors are investing. Yeah, still it's it's a sort of portfolio approach to investing, um, um, investing in uh, categories that um, where there's a clear opportunity for um, uh, sort of exit active uh, exit opportunity within a, a reasonable time time horizon, and, and there are some trends there. Um, uh, but I think if you know if you're if you're like me and you're just really excited about the space and um, and if you were to sort of invest your, your time and, and, and effort, I, I would say um, you know uh, find a space uh, that you're particularly excited by um, um, and just commit to it because whichever one it is, it's going to be a very long horizon uh, that you're going to be building a <laughs> business um, and there's really no kind of um, shortcut to that. <laughs> no, I, and I like your uh, long-term perspective. Thinking decades, not your science, like yeah. a healthy attitude. Like you're not gonna see this take off in six months, right? Six years, you're gonna see some traction, and 15 years, it could be amazing. But you know, it's that's just how, like, like you said, look at cell phones, and so that's a healthy attitude, I think, and realistic, <laughs> probably. Yeah. Um, Look, I, I think if if you're you know sitting here with um, you know a unique algorithm for doing you know inside out positional tracking, maybe there's a you know there's a uh, an opportunity for her um, you know exit uh, within a short time horizon. Um, but but I really think that for for the vast majority uh, of people who are um, excited by the industry. It's really about you know um, taking that passion and investing it um, uh, in the medium um, for um, a a payoff that's going to take you know, uh, a half decade, yeah, yeah. a decade or longer to to come to fruition. Makes sense. All right. Well, I think that just about does it. So, Clifton, really appreciate your time. It's fun hearing about your background and your insights to VR and AR and definitely appreciate your time coming on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for inviting me. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Definitely. And, and thanks everyone for listening to another episode of Flyover Labs. As always, I greatly appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you next time. Bye everyone. Bye Clifton.